All right, grab your Bibles, Book of Judges, this morning, starting a new series. Thank you to Joel, Daniel, and Hunter for filling in. Uh, surprise that Austin Lindsay didn't make it to church today, but I guess, I guess that's all right. Um, historically, I've never named a series other than the name of the book that we're going through. As you can tell from the screen, the, that continues. But every time before we start a series, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's a weird part of me, likes to know what other churches titled their series. It's not going to change what I do, but I just find it interesting. And, and so when you get to the book of Judges 1, uh, it's not a popular book for a church to go through, I feel like. And, and then two, here's, here's what I found. I find broken saviors, flawed heroes, one church entitled it The Struggle Bus. Uh, the sin cycle or something similar to downward spiral, sin cycle, all of those are interesting. And they're all up there and they're all whatever. And, and as I, I, and I don't want to, like, those are all part of this, like broken savers, flawed heroes. Like, I get that. Uh, but, but let's just, there's going to be a little bit of a struggle. And so this morning, we're not going to necessarily get too far into the book of Judges, but we're at least going to give you this overview. And I feel like the overview, if we, if we take the overview as flawed heroes, and I don't know what church that I'm not trying to pick on it. But I feel like as we get through the book of Judges, like, like the word flawed doesn't seem strong enough to me to describe some of the people that we're going to come in contact with. Like, we talked about it in our small group this week, knowing that Judges was coming and, and these things. And it's like there's, there's going to be certain people in this book, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, that like, man, Bible character night for your kid, like, hey, you should dress up, and it's somebody in the book of Judges, and then you actually read the book as an adult, and you're like, why would I ever dress up like that person, right? And, and so, like, it's not just that they're flawed. Like, flawed is almost, like, too nice. And then the word was heroes, right? Flawed heroes. And it's like, I don't think you're heroic. In fact, you had no faith, and, and God had to, like, drag you into this home. And it's like, and so I just feel like we somehow try to make the judges the hero of the story. And, and as we work through this book, what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is I don't want the judge to be the hero of the story. Right? No matter what judge it is, there's 12 of them that we work through. Some of them only get one verse. Some of them get whole chapters or more than a chapter. But, like, like we, they're not the hero of the story. Right? The focus isn't on what does Samson do or what did Gideon do. The, the story that we want to land on is what? Is what is God doing? Right? The, the Bible is a book about our God, not a book about these people. And so from just my experience of a brief Google search, I feel like so many of these titles and books and different things that would talk about the book of Judges focuses on the people. And I, the people are in here. I get that. But, but like, can we not also rejoice in a God who is faithful in spite of the fact that his people are faithless? Like, can we not rejoice in the fact that there's a God who's accomplishing his will even when everything seems to go really poorly? And so I, I'm saying this not to say that we're going to be better than these other churches. I'm saying this that there's people that are way smarter than I am, that have done church way longer than me, and I feel like they focused on the people and not the God who's orchestrating all this. So I don't want us to fall into that trap, is what I'm saying. So that means Joel Daniel, myself, whoever's leading discussion group that week, like, like at some level, it might be harder this week, next week, whatever. Some weeks are harder than others. But I want us to be able to come back to the idea of what does it say about God? Like what do we learn about our God in, in this instance? Or what has God done? Or how is he? Okay. And, and again, we're going to have plenty of things to talk about. Samson and Gideon and Deborah and all their stories. But, but what, is, what is God doing? Other things that we will see in this book that... Again, you're just see. And I'm not saying these are right or wrong. I mean, they're, they're right. I'm not saying they're the main emphasis. I'm just saying you'll see, right? We're going to see the idea of brokenness, 
people are broken, we're depraved, like we're sinful, uh, we'll see the idea that we need a better judge. Right? Like, like here's the judges, they, they're not good enough. Uh, picture of pointing to somebody greater. Uh, consequences of sin, which I feel like in our culture today is not going to be a popular issue. Like, let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about consequences of sin. Like, there's consequences of sin in this book. Right? We don't want to shy away from that. But again, at the end of the day, what does this say about our God? What can we learn about God through the book of Judges? Okay? Uh, let's talk about the word judges real quick. In our mind, a judge, like for some of you, you think judge, you think of somebody like Judge, judge Judy, right? Someone sits there, some sort of robe, hits a gavel, makes a judgment. That is not the idea of judge at all in this book. Bible Project would say it this way, a judge is a regional, political, and military leader. Okay, that's, that's what we're thinking. Uh, the word that I'm going to use that probably throughout is this idea of deliverer. Like they've come to deliver the people. God raises them up to deliver them. They do it politically. They do it uh, militarily. They do it certain ways. But like this idea of a deliverer. Okay? Uh, other thing about judge that, that's going to be hard for us to wrestle with. Okay? But we just got to be able to grasp this. Like this is where I'm at in the moment. I, I remember reading the story of Samson. Like first time as an adult. And I'm trying my hardest to be Samson as a good guy. And, and God's using him. And yet he doesn't do anything good. Right? Like, like, how do you, okay, so I feel like in the Bible, it's like, is, this is super simplified, but in the Bible, it's like, is David a good guy or a bad guy? And we're like, oh, good guy. Sure, he had failures. Sure, there's mistakes. Good guy. Joseph, good guy or bad guy? Oh, good guy. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, we'll put him on the bad guy side. Judas Iscariot? Yeah, bad guy, right? And it's real easy. Then you get to the book of Judges, and it's like God's using people, and the whole story, like chapter after chapter of this one judge, it's like there's nothing redeemable about this guy. And it's like, in our minds, at least in my mind growing up, is like, is this character in the Bible a good guy or a bad guy? I got no idea. Because God's using him to deliver his people, and yet at the same time, as an adult reading through the story, it's like, I don't know, this is horrible. Like, there's nothing good of this guy. Okay? So, some guys, some scholars, some commentators, they're going to land on this idea of God's going to use whatever he's got available. And so, what he's got available is these 12 names on the screen. I don't know if that's where we're supposed to land with that, but I know that's where some people would land. Other people would say that God's faithful to his promises. He's going to accomplish his will no matter who or what's in the way, those type of things. But, the, but there is, for me, at least a struggle of how do we, how do we think through this? Because, because in my mind, if you're a judge and you're delivering Israel, you're a good guy. And yet that's not the story the book of Judges would paint for all these judges. Okay? Typically what we do on the first week of a new series, we read the entire text. Okay? We've got 21 chapters. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to do the exact opposite. Like, I, I can't think of anything more different than, than reading the whole book than what we're about to do. So here we go. Ready? Judges 1.1. 1, 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua. All right, we're going to stop right there. Okay? We're going to read more later. Whenever you read this, in my mind, it's like, cool, Joshua died. Like, let's move. Like, okay, that seems like not that important. And yet what I'm learning is these, these little descriptions are so important. Right? Like, it seems like Isaiah is always like, in the 10th year of the reign of this, and it's like, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know how to pronounce the king's name. Like, why the 10th year? Like, okay, those things are important. They're, they're drawing the reader to something. Okay? So, and now it came about after the death of Joshua, the author of Judges is saying, hey, let's draw your attention to something. Okay? So, so we got to remember who Joshua is. Right? If we're going to understand the book of Judges and understand the context, we have to under, apparently understand who Joshua is. So, who is Joshua? Joshua is the guy who took over after Moses. Okay? So, 
brief Jewish history. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Moses cannot go into the promised land. Moses hands it off to Joshua, as it were. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. Okay, so, so that's where we're at. Uh, let's talk about the promised land real quick. The promised land was promised to who? To Abraham. There's gonna, you're going to have a people. You're going to have a land. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. Okay, here's the land that was promised all the way back to Abraham. It's given to them. Scholars, really smart people about the Bible, would say that the land of Israel, God promised, was like the, the, the center of the world at the time. Okay, so you think commerce and Mediterranean Sea and all these things, like it's the center of the world. And so the question then would be asked, why would God give his people the center of the world? What's the purpose of that? Back to Exodus with Moses, they are called to be what? A kingdom of priests. So you're a king, Israel, you're a kingdom of priests, which means what? Which means you should be a light that would show the world about the God that you serve. Like you should have some sort of representative quality of the God. And, and so what does God do? He says, I'm going to give you this piece of property that, that's kind of the center of the known world at the time. So that why? So that my glory might be shown through you. Okay, that's the context. So that's said to Moses. Moses gets him pretty much to the promised land. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And now we're at this point where Joshua dies. There's no leader where there's no, uh, you know, Moses dies, there's Joshua. There's no like, oh, Joshua died. Now here's whoever. Like we don't got, we don't have another name, right? So we go into this season of Israel where there is no Moses, there's no Joshua. Okay. Uh, anything else that I need to say about that? I don't think so. All right, here we go. Chapter one then. Let's read it some more. Uh, verse 1, came about the death of Joshua, that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Okay, a little bit more context. Joshua goes in the promised land. They're conquering different people, clearing out the land, as it were, for themselves. Joshua did not complete the task, if I can say it that way. Like, not in a bad way or whatever, just like there's more people still in the land. Okay, so verse 1 sounds pretty promising. Oh, man, this is what I forgot to do. we got to go back to Joshua 24. I'm sorry. We're going to pause on Judges 1 still. Joshua 24. Let's see where this book ends. Right? This is going to be a big part of it. Joshua 24 ends with this. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for you yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, there's Joshua's final words. What did he say? I'm going to serve the Lord. My house is going to serve the Lord. Like, those are not, some of you have that verse in your home, right? We, we know that verse. Verse 16. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the, the, the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through whom, uh, whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who live in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is God. Okay, Joshua says, what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And Israel responds to that and says, guess what? We are too. Like we're in. Joshua, you're going to do it. We're going to do it. Verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to save, serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, 
Put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. The end of Joshua 24. I mean, we pretty much just read it. It's going to go on and give a couple more details. The end of Joshua 24 is what? It's really good. Right? Joshua is about to die. We're in the promised land. And here's Israel saying, we are going to serve God. As I read over this this week, I thought of what? I thought of Exodus 19, Mount Sinai. Moses says, here's the God that delivered you out of Egypt. He wants a relationship with you. There's this marriage covenant type of talk. And Israel stands at the base of Mount Sinai and says what? And says, yes, I do. We do. Like We want this relationship with this creator God of the universe that delivers us out of Egypt. That's Exodus 19. Exodus 32, Moses comes down from Lion of Sinai to the, probably the worst chapter in Israel's history. Here's the end of Joshua, which again is just sounding somewhat familiar to the Exodus 19. Like, look how great this is. Israel's like, we're going to serve God. We're going to push away the foreign gods. Like, look at this wonderful thing that's about to happen. So you end the book of Joshua with like rejoicing. Israel finally gets it. Like, here we go. And now we're going to go into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges seems to start off well and then it just gets worse and worse. Okay, now we're going to go back to where we were. Okay, so verse 1, he says what? Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Okay, so very first verse of Judges, there's, there's a good thing, right? There's no more Joshua. We need a leader. So, so some people in Israel say, hey, I know what we should do. We should pray to God and ask for help, ask for wisdom. Okay, so so far, one verse in, we seem to be doing all right. Second verse, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Okay, so here's the tribe of Judah. It's your responsibility. You're going to go up. You're going to fight against the Canaanites. And what does he say there in verse 2? I have given the land into his hand. Like, not only should Judah go up, but Judah, you're going to win. Like, guaranteed, you got this. God's going to take care of it. Verse 3, then Judah, we wanted to say, went up and took the land. It doesn't say that. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into this territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And, and I, in turn, will go into the territory allotted you. Okay, Judges, the author of Judges doesn't give us any commentary on this. But most people that you read are going to say this was not what they should have done. This was a lack of faith. This was a, hey, God said this, and we just said, the end of, Ju- the end of Joshua, right? Whatever God says, we're going to obey him. We're going to follow his word. We're going to do this. And then Judges, three verses in, we already get a hint that they're going away from that. Like, what if God's wrong? What if it doesn't work out? What if this isn't how, what if God says, hey, you're going to win, but we don't? So, so what do we want to do? Uh, we want to hedge our bets, as it were. Hey, Simeon, why don't you come with us? Just, just in case maybe God doesn't quite know he's got it. Okay, so, so again, it's not necessarily the, maybe the worst thing in the world that Judah's ever done, but, but there's just a, this, this little bit of a glimmer of like, hey, uh, this doesn't sound like Joshua 24. Whatever God says we will do, we will obey, we're going to serve him. And now it sounds like eh, a, little bit of, a little bit of doubt already, already creeping in. Okay, we're going to skip a lot of this that talks uh, about them, them conquering people, even though they invite Simeon in, God gives them the victory in that land, and, and it keeps going through other lands and different things. But then we get to verse 19, and I'm not going to give you an answer in verse 19. I just want to bring it up to our attention, and, and something that, I don't know if this turns into a discussion group or not, but, but what do we do with verse 19? Right Now the Lord was with Judah, even though they asked Simeon and didn't seem to fully obey, and they took possession of the hill country but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. Why? 
because they had iron chariots. Like, what do you do with a verse that says God is with you? God is giving you victory, but God can't drive out iron chariots? Like, obviously, that's not what the text is saying. And, and I feel like it would be easy for us just to, you know, we're, we're not going to read every verse like we normally do as we go through a book of the Bible. Uh, but it would be really easy if we did go through every verse. Like, oh, yeah, God gave him victory in the hill country. Yeah, no. But it's like, why is iron chariots in here? Why couldn't, why, couldn't, why couldn't this happen? So, again, I don't have a great answer for you. Some people think it's they saw the iron chariots and were like, we're not even going to try. Like, the hill country, that seems easier. Down there in the valley with iron chariots, that seems real hard. And since that seems hard, we're not, like, we didn't have enough faith to go just Judah. We had to bring Simeon along. Now we're looking at somebody who has greater technology than us. We don't even have enough faith to even try that one. We don't know, right? This is one of those cases in the Bible where, like, I wish the author would have just filled in the gap a little bit more. But again, what is it, what is it showing to us? Verse 3, hey, here's a little bit of doubt that's already crept in to Israel. Verse 19, things aren't really going to plan yet. Like, we feel like... I feel like you should be conquering everybody. The Lord's on your side. Like, why are we not? Like, okay. So again, it's just kind of foreshadowing things to come. Verse 21. We're not going to read. Just, I'm going to make mention. We're going to move pretty quickly. But verse 21 says, But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Okay, verse 22. Likewise, the house of Judah went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The house of Joseph spied on Bethel. Now the name of the city was Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city. Uh, what is the point of all this? So that the house of Joseph doesn't drive out those people. So that they lived with those people. Verse 27. Manasseh did not take possession of Beth Shein and its villages. Uh, verse 28. It came when Israel came strong. They put the Canaanites to forced labor. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 29. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the, the inhabitants. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 34, the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allot them to come to, to, down to the valley. Okay, we leave Joshua, and it's what? It's we're going to serve God, we're going to obey God, we're going to do everything that God says, we're going to get this promised land, we're going to move in, God's promised us victory over and over again, and then we get this, this kind of ringing of a bell of just over and over again, they did not drive out the inhabitants. They did not drive out the inhabitants. They did not drive out the inhabitants. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but I want to make mention of this. I think it's two different ones. Zebulon, uh, and I think there's another one, Manasseh. It says that they forced the Canaanites to do, or, or they put the Canaanites to forced labor. Okay? Can we just not pause and recognize that's Egypt? Like, that's what Egypt does? That, that's nowhere in God's commandments to his people. Like, he says you're going to drive out the inhabitants. He says, we'll read it. It's in Deuteronomy. He, he has certain rules and laws. But nowhere as it says you're going to put your people to forced labor, put your enemy to forced labor. Like, you read this, and it's like, Israel, you're becoming Egypt. Israel, this looks a lot more like Pharaoh. This looks a lot more like what you did and, and how you suffered for, for hundreds of years. This doesn't look like the God you serve. And so, again, we're just getting a hint. We're getting this hint that, hey, this doesn't look like God. This looks like Egypt. This looks like Pharaoh. Deuteronomy 7, just six verses. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. When the Lord your God brings you to the land that you're about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. He lists them. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. 
Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred place pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Okay, so, so remember Joshua 24. Whatever God says we're in, we got it. We're not even out of chapter 1. And they've already blatantly disregarded Deuteronomy 7. Right? For whatever reason, uh, here's God, his judgment on these people, wicked people. Most of them, we, history would tell us, is child sacrifice, different, like just horrible, grotesque type of things in their culture. Like God's bringing judgment on them, and he's saying, I want you to destroy them. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to become like them. You're going you're to worship their gods. You're going to do what they do. Like, so what do we want? We don't want you to become friends with them. We don't want you to make treaties with them. We don't want you to bring their culture into your culture. We want you to drive that away. And what do we get here in Judges 1? They did not drive them away. They did not drive them away. They did not drive them away. And so once again, what do we do? We get this, we get this picture of what's about to come in Judges. We talked earlier, there's the consequence of sin. Like, what is sin? Disobeying God. Here's the disobedience of Israel, of their God. And, and so, what we're going to see coming through the rest of the book of Judges is all being laid out for us here in chapter 1. Chapter 2. We're going to probably end up reading all of chapter 2. Uh, we won't talk about everything, but we'll probably read all of it, and, and then that'll be it for this morning. Verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord. I'm just going to throw this out there. For some of you, this might blow your mind. You'll have more questions later. I'm just throwing it out there. The angel of the Lord, most likely, we're pretty positive, that's Jesus. Okay? So, so here's Old Testament Here's Jesus, Theophany, uh, came up from Gilgal to Bochum. Okay, we're going to come back to that phrase, Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into land, which I sworn to your fathers. Uh, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become a become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named the place Bochum, and there, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. Okay, some sort of remorse, some sort of sadness. But, but I said we come back to this phrase, Gilgal to Bochum. I don't know if that's how you say the word, but we're going to go with it. Okay. What is Gilgal? Like, like we're thinking Gilgal to Bochum. We're thinking some sort of like map in our brain, right? We're thinking like, oh, he started here and he walked down here and then he delivered a message. Okay, no, no, no. Gilgal is a place of victory. There's an altar built up in Gilgal. There's a place of like, we followed God. We obeyed God. We were faithful to God in Gilgal. So when you say Gilgal, it's not necessarily a place on the map. I mean, it is a place on the map. But you would also think like, man, this is, this is the place that we like serve God and saw victory and these things. Like that's the reminder of Gilgal. And the word bokum means weeping. So in verse 1, when he says the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal and goes to Bochum, it's this like history lesson for him. Like, look where you used to be when you followed God and there was victory and things were going well and, and you obeyed him and you were close to him. Like, look at that. Remember that and look at where you are now. Like, we're in chapter 2 and, and the angel of the Lord pretty much just says, Israel, look how far you've come. 
Look how far you've already come. And what's sad is it's just going to continue to get worse. Like nowhere in the book of Judges does it ever really seem to get much better. We're going to see that in just a second. Uh, verses 6 through 10, we'll read those, talk about them, and then the last half of the verse, or last half of the chapter, we're just going to read. And I, I won't say anything about it. Verse 6, though, when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in a place I'm not even going to attempt to say, the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash, and all the generations also who gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. I don't want to take this verse and make it more than it's saying. But what does verse 10 say in Judges 2? It says there's a generation that was with Joshua that knew Joshua. They knew the God that Joshua served. And then he says what? And the next generation didn't. Okay, now we're, who are we talking about? We're talking about Israel. We're talking about people that were delivered from Egypt and the greatest nation at the time had nothing. Like they were left with nothing. Pharaoh's embarrassed because puny little Israel, God's people, overthrow them and leave. Right? We're not that far removed from there. And yet here's a generation who's, who know nothing or at least very little about the Lord. Okay, so let's just, let's just stop and think about this, though. If you're Israel, what do you do every year? You do Passover, right? Like, would you not think that Passover, every year, there'd be some sort of teaching, some sort of reminder of what God has done for us? So, so then my question is, and again, I wish that we had more details sometimes, but like my question is, were they not doing Passover? Was there not an annual, hey, let's pause and stop, remember what God has done for us? Were there no other feasts? Were there no other, like, did they just not do this? Or would it become so ritualistic? that it somehow turned into like our version of Christmas. Like you can celebrate Christmas and have nothing to do with Jesus. Like, is that just how it was? So, so for me, uh, this, this phrase, like the next generation doesn't know, like that's so common throughout the Old Testament. It's like here's one of the greatest kings ever to lead Israel, and his son is the worst king that ever led Israel. And it's like, how in the world does this happen? And it's something about the, the father never taught the son. And so for me, like, what am I getting at? I'm getting at, for me personally, like, this verse and verses like it kind of scare me. Because I feel like it's really easy to just go through the motions, do what you're supposed to do, and the kids miss it. Like, my kids miss it. Okay? It scares me as a pastor. Why? Because I don't want the kids in our church to miss it. Like, if they hear Jesus, and they hear the gospel, and they get it, and they understand at some level, like, this is everything the church is about, and they walk away, like, okay, they walked away. But if they walk away from a church that they don't even know Jesus, like, man, that's on us. Right? And so, so here's, again, I don't want this verse to say something it's not. But I almost wonder if the author is saying at some level, if you would have taught the next generation, this book might not have been written. Like what happens in this book might not have, might not have took place if you just taught in the next generation. Right? The Shema, which the Jews would repeat all the time. Deuteronomy 6. What do you do? You love the Lord your God with all your 
heart, soul, and strength. And then what does he say? He says, these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. What are you supposed to do with them? You're supposed to teach them to your children. They would say that almost every day. Deuteronomy 6, teach them to your children. Teach them to your children. Talk about the word of the Lord when you wake up and when you go to bed, when you walk on the road and when you sit in your house. And yet, somewhere, the next generation missed it. Anyway, we're going to read verses 11 to the end, and then we will pray and we will be done. 11 through 23 is an overview of the book of Judges. Like, literally, he's, he's giving you the cliff notes. Some of you are like, oh, sweet, let's just end here then, right? Judges series done. Uh, nope, we're not done. Uh, but here's the cliff notes. Uh, I haven't said this yet. I'll say it now before I forget. I don't have memory verses for us in this series. Uh, but if you want, say, hey, I'm going to memorize something from Judges. I would tell you to land somewhere in Judges too. Uh, I think this is going to be the best memory, but I don't have necessary memory verses for us through this series. Here we go. Judges 2, 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, false gods. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and follow other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them the hands of their enemies around them, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to, to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly, corruptly than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed the nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into, uh, did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Let's pray. Father, we're entering a book that, for some of us, we probably don't know a whole lot about. Yet it's in your word. You've given it to us for a reason. And so as we spend the next however many weeks Digging into the, to this book of Judges, God, I pray, one, that you give us wisdom. I pray that we would be able to understand what, what the message is that you want to communicate to us. God, I pray that you, too, give us, uh, give us the eyes to see you in this book, uh, not just the eyes to see Israel's failure and somehow think that we're better than them or we wouldn't have done that or whatever that thought is, but give us the eyes and, and the mind to see you. That here's a God who's faithful in spite of his people's faithless. And God, I also pray 
that this just want to be some sort of historical narrative book that's somewhat interesting. But may we learn. Learn about you. May we learn about ourselves, our sin, our depravity, our sin nature, the consequences of, of the sin in our lives. God, I pray that we would learn in such a way that it would change us, how we interact with each other, how we interact with those who are outside of this room and the world around us. God, our desire is to be more like you, and so I pray that this series would lead us to understanding your word more, understanding your will, your kingdom more, and, and that we would look more and more like your son. And so I pray that you would do that in us, uh, and that as your, as your work, as your word is being done in us, uh, that, that you would be able to use us more and more in the community that we're in. So Father, bless this series, bless the weeks ahead. And we pray these things in your son's name.